what I am finding, Susan, is that people really come to these churches and find community there, you know, beyond the entheogenic sacraments, you know, they sit in integration groups and they're finally with a group of people that literally love them for them and just want them to be their authentic, true and authentic self. And and I think that's where a lot of the healing is occurring uh, at these places. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Psychedelic Conversations podcast. Let's welcome together Greg Lake back again for the second episode. Uh, thank you so much for being with us, Greg. So amazing to see you. Thank you, Susan. It's, uh, it's an honor to be uh, back again. Amazing. So uh, for those of you guys who haven't watched our first episode with Greg, um, quite a while last year, I think it was, um, Greg is an attorney author of free books and he's also an entheogenic church consultant so there has been so much going on and we found the need to come back together and and talk about what's been emerging since then yeah lots of stuff <laughs> it's uh, as you're aware of this space when we talk about theogen psychedelics you know uh from the research to you know, like religious groups that I work with, it's just evolving and growing exponentially on, on a daily basis. And I'm sure you probably see it as well. Yeah, I am closely watching what's happening in the space of the psychedelic substances. And I mean, Greg, since we talked last time to now, it's almost like a decade fast forward, fast track progress is being um, monitored. And, and tell me, what you are seeing and what's happening around, especially with the work that you're doing. Um, Yeah. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah. So kind of my forte in the space on, in the U S obviously is the religious exemption, you know, the, the religious exemption, uh, which is a federal law and some state laws, they work in tandem um, that basically allows people who are sincere religious practitioners uh, under certain circumstances to actually consume entheogenic psychedelic sacraments uh, as part of their religious practice. So uh, what I do as a researcher, author, attorney is ca- consult these people on a number of different things, but kind of the main thrust is, you know, what are your beliefs? So let's, let's basically helping them elucidate their beliefs in such a way that, you know, theoretically a court in the United States would look at them on paper and say, okay, this is a religious exercise. And because these people have done X, Y, Z, we find them to be sincere. Um, And so that's kind of my forte here is helping people do that to, again, what I call enshrining their rights, because, you know, uh, their rights already exist. You can go to court and have the court, you know, directly declare you exempt, right? But uh, it's not required. So I'm helping these people, what we call enshrine their rights under the religious laws. And, uh, you know, I started this work back in probably July 2020. Um, Since then to today, I've helped over 30 groups. Um, and counting, uh, it seems that every as every single week goes by, I get more and more and more calls. And now, you know, admittedly, some people I talk to aren't quite ready yet. It's just kind of preliminary discussions. But many people that come to me 
are, are ready to go that day. Uh, and so, yeah, it's just growing exponentially. And, you know, people are filling their ceremonies every single weekend. Um, you know, I have some groups that advertise on Facebook, you know, kind of put it way out there in the open. But then I also have people that simply do email lists. And even between those two spectrums, no group is having trouble uh, filling ceremonies, you know. And so it's, it's a blessing. And, um, you know, what I am finding, Susan, is that people really come to these churches and find community there, you know, beyond the entheogenic sacraments, you know, they sit in integration groups and they're finally with a group of people that literally love them for them and just want them to be their authentic, true and authentic self. And, and I think that's where a lot of the healing is occurring uh, at these places. Yeah. Um, let's focus on the positive sides of these entheogenic churches mm -hmm. first, mm -hmm. because like everything else, we know that there are dark side of these there communities. Are. Absolutely, right? there are. But yeah, let's focus on the positive sides of yeah. these churches, right? I love what you said about people come there because of the community's mm -hmm. uh, spirit. Um, mm -hmm. Given that the pandemic has shaped our current reality, and I always say, like, I have a really good friend, and we always talk about how things are coming on fast in terms of... Um, the need for trauma, uh, trauma healing, the need for uh, at least uh, becoming self-aware, um, lots of suppressed emotions that are rising. You know, our reality now has completely shifted and changed. There is no going back. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are talks that we have sometimes between our, my own community where we say, it feels like this is the reception before the theater. You know, there's a, you go to theater, there's always a little reception. I feel like people you and I, like people in this space of uh, mental, you know, healing, healing arts, let's call it. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is just a reception before the theater. I feel like the real hits or real impact we're going to see in the next couple of years, very hard. It's going to be, um, I mean, I know the mental illnesses are now uh, off the charts and depression off the charts and and people are desperate for, you know, to hold on to a hope to that there is, you know, the uncertainty and the uh, anxiety that they are in right now. So that shows me that, you know, it's no surprise that they are flooding into mm -hmm. those, you know, communities where they offer these sacraments, um, medicines as a sacrament. Mm -hmm. And um, I also see, do you, would you say that this, this growth in like this level of proportional growth in your way of uh, work is also um, determined by the way that um, substances, the psychedelic substances are now pushed into the mental health mm -hmm. aspect of it. So as you know, it's kind of like parallel. It's, there's a huge growth parallel mm -hmm. to this, this uh, renaissance. And there is this um, <clears throat> one group of people in the mental health, um, space, uh, mm -hmm. psychotherapists, clinical uh, psychiatrists, you know, where doctors, they are now opting into using psychedelics as a new tool. Mm -hmm. um, it's growing. People are trying to go on to courses, uh, learn about psychedelic assisted therapy. Mm -hmm. um, how can they offer this in the, using the mental health outlet? Mm -hmm. Now, I feel like your outlet, which is the entheogenic church, is also growing in the same level what would you mm -hmm. say because some people are not interested in the mental health yeah sort of thing how what are your thoughts on that so that's a very interesting you know kind of observation and, and question um yeah so i think a lot of this is that obviously psychedelics are getting a lot of positive press with fda trials uh and things of that nature 
Uh, and people are seeing this, you know, after being on, having depression for 20 years and being on all kinds of antidepressant medications and saying, wow, this could be my answer. But, you know, not everyone can just go up to the corner and sign up for an FDA trial. Here we go. Right. And I think through steady research, they, they find out that there are groups operating within the United States under the religious exemption where, you know, this is be the most legal way that they can go about, you know, consuming these sacraments. And, you know, in, in a lot of ways, and, and let me let me bring it back to ancient times, you know, when we talk about shamans, they were really a medicine man and a religious leader all in one, right? So kind of the West has kind of separated those two, but we're kind of coming back together. And, and I say that because a lot of people I work with are doctors, uh, psychotherapists that, that have had religious experiences on these medicines. And, you know, believe that they have religious type beliefs in, in them. Uh, and now they want to actually open their own church or organization uh, and serve medicine. And so I see that now I do get some of the types uh, from the medical community that that don't have religious views as it relates to the message. And again, when I say that, I really mean like metaphysical type views. Uh, or beliefs as it relates to these substances. And, you know, unfortunately, I have to turn those people away. I'm not going to help someone who, who isn't actually religious as it relates to them. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. But yeah, I do see a lot of overlap with medical professionals actually coming in and in, in opening their own church, right, to, to uh, uh, serve these substances. And, um, you know, it's just the most thing I guess they say, look, we've been trying to treat these things for forever. And now we finally come across something that's gaining traction that we've personally had experience with that we've personally seen help people. And it's just that inextricable pull. I mean, if you get into medicine for truly to help people, uh, when you come across something like this, that that seems to be so effective as it's playing out in the research and everything. I mean, I, I, I get it and I understand and I'm here to help people like that, you know, because a lot of this is also safety. So, you know, theoretically, and, and not that it's only doctors that are safe or whatever, but, you know, theoretically, they would be some of the safer people to administer uh, these substances. So I'm obviously here to help them. Yeah, I love your insights on that. Um, obviously, I'm coming from from the uh, medical, mm -hmm. mental health yeah. approach into this. Um, but does it mean does it mean that I don't have the metaphysical connection or the because mm -hmm. um, when people get a bit um, uh, sensitive when you say religious right yeah they do yeah when you say infusionic church they just kind of like, no not for me thank mm -hmm. you very much so i'd rather mm -hmm. go to a, a mm -hmm. clinic where the medicine is administered through a doctor who's qualified to and knows about pharmacology so i will trust them and i don't want to have any association with the religious aspect of it how do you see that as well. Oh, no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. People do. And, you know, the, my, here's the thing is that, you know, when we say religious, it's just a term placed on uh, a descriptor for a set of views, right? It's, it's, it, it's unfortunate that over the years, and I'm going to say, you know, a lot of established religions have kind of bastardized the name religion uh, with some of the stuff that they've done. And it's not all of them. It's not all churches. But we know that there's been some things that organized religion have done or done in the name of organized religion that kind of turn people off. Uh, and, I, and I totally get it. I work with people that are like, do we have to put church in our name? <laughs> no, no, you don't. You don't have to put church in your name, you know. And, and so I would say that. And one thing I say to people, too, and some, it, this triggers some people, but it's like this, like, don't let what someone else has done or did define for you a term. 
right? You know what I mean? Like, like define religion for yourself. I mean, because from what I've seen with a lot of people I work with, these places are good places. It's like where people where there's real fellowship and people are really there to support uh, and love one another. Like I said, for exactly who they are. And if if that's that's my definition of religion, right? And those are the people that I like to help. Uh, but I totally get it. People are turned off, and and I, and hopefully one day maybe they'll change their mind. But look, it's not everyone's cup of tea. I realize that there's a whole contingency and population of people, like you said, that will only feel safe and secure. Uh, with a doctor, you know, whereas, you know, I'll just say me personally, you know, I've sat with people who've actually like done the medicine a lot, right? And that's who I feel more secure with people who really built a relationship with these sacraments. But hey, it's whoever's cup of tea. My hope is that in the future, everyone will be able to go where they feel safe and secure uh, to engage with these substances, right? Mm, I love that approach, Mm -hmm. having that diversity, Mm -hmm. you know, having choices, because everybody's individual, we we carry biases within mm-hmm. our unconscious, mm-hmm. you know, towards what it means to, you know, wh- what does religion mean? What does church represent? And and also like doctors, you know, some people would say like there are people also from the spiritual or the functional medicine or the you know Ayurvedic or Chinese medicine. They are completely against these white collared, you know, white yep. um, coat. Um, doctors they they don't trust them either so so much diversity out in the world isn't it yeah and I'll tell you you know just recently through publishing my third book I ended up having some blood pressure problems right and I was kind of one of those people oh I can just eat healthy and and do this and exercise and I'll never have to go back to another doctor but I tell you when my blood pressure got out of control uh, I, I gladly went to my family practitioner right and was fortunate to put on some medication to help me get my blood pressure under control so but yeah I know a lot of people just like you say that that they're very distrustful of it and you know there's arguments on both sides of that but I, w- I would say never, you know, in my opinion, I'll never get too far extreme on one end or the other because you never know uh, when the day comes when you might need uh, one of those two two ends, you know? Mm, yeah, yeah. And there was there's this, um, I was listening to Richard Tarnas's lecture not long ago. I love what he said. He said, the problem is not um, that we should have this view or that view. It's about when you go too far to the end, like, when you are so convicted and that yeah. there is a really narrow mind that goes along with what you believe in your conviction that this is the only way and yeah. that's it. That's the danger. He said that's actually can be quite catastrophic. Yep, um, I agree. Yeah, we're seeing this a lot, aren't we? We're seeing this in the psychedelic renaissance space and, mm-hmm. and we're seeing people coming from all angles and I, I feel like, Greg, there is um, what is really needed. What I see is that the self-awareness piece, the self-awareness mm-hmm. piece of not just like to function better in the world, but also realization of like, what do I carry in my unconscious or my subconscious? Mm-hmm. What are my biases? You know, why, why do I get that reaction when I see a white coat guy and, and you know, mm-hmm. doctor label? And, and why do I get reaction when I read the infusionic? like the church, the word mm-hmm. church, like what yep. is it in my un- unconscious um, mm-hmm. bias that's making me react? Because ideally what we want to come to is like dissolve all these convicted yes. and biases and um, come to an understanding that the world is so diverse individually. Yep. We're so diverse 
in every way possible and how can one thing could be good for everybody that's impossible that's right i think um eventually what i'd like to see is that an emerging understanding collectively that realization of let people have a choice let people decide and in the in the process can we build self-agency can we build that inner trust Mm -hmm. to know what could be good for ourselves without judging criticizing and taking a one side extreme Mm -hmm. one side right so yeah what are your thoughts on that yeah no i agree um and just speaking from personal experience kind of working with these medicines these sacraments um it's about shedding what we call mind programs where it's like I feel a certain way about something, but then you got to kind of sit back and say, well, why do I feel that way about it? Right. And a lot of times it's not because of any personal experience of ours. It's because it's kind of, you know, through our culture, specific cultures and where we grew up and our family kind of input these things into our head. And it's like you said, we have this bias that we're not even necessarily conscious of. So, you know, with me working through the medicine, there's just been a whole array and it's every single day. I'm thinking, hmm, I, I feel this way, but like, is that right? Like, is that necessarily how I feel per se? Um, and it, it that itself is very healing to just kind of get back to that place of neutrality uh, and acceptance, again, that we're all diverse and that people might like this, might like that. Uh, but, you know, there, it doesn't make them bad or good. Right. It's just what people prefer. And, you know, I'll say this, you know, I haven't owned a TV in almost nine years. I, don't, I haven't watched the news, any of it. And I've noticed that people who watch a lot of the news end up very highly polarized to one end or the other. And I mean, I'm not going to say that's the only thing, but I think a lot of the media outlets, main media outlets are kind of, I don't know, as I say purposefully orchestrating, but they definitely have a, have a part in polarizing people uh, to want to these different ends of the spectrum. And I've noticed that people who kind of take a step back from that, take a step back from politics end up, coming more around and being more fair and, and, you know, middle-minded, I would say. Mm, That's so beautiful. I don't have TV either. I, I sold mine seven years ago. (laughs) You know, it's interesting what you said about that. It's true. Um, Obviously coming from a, you know, therapeutic background and, Mm -hmm. and also offering the therapy and working with these people, you're right. People who have been, glued to tv in this last two years to just be on top of and be informed about what's happening in the world are right now so rigid i find that too it's it's actually very difficult to even speak certain things uh, without them reacting so i i understand that i get it it's very powerful way of um creating you know or programming people so I, i i'm with you on that one yeah, yeah. This is why I'm super interested and passionate about the self-agency piece. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you yeah, demonstrated people... that by saying, like, you don't have it for nine years. I hope more of us can say that. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I don't, I'm not knocking anyone who, who goes home and, and watches, you know, uh, Netflix all night, right? You know, but one thing I've noticed is that, people, you know, we live in this society where it's constantly, you lack, you need this. And a lot of that's fed through the TV. You know, you need this, right? And people like will come home from their nine to five job and sit on, TV, sit on the couch and watch Netflix for five or six hours, right? And be like, man, I wish I could acquire that or need that, right? But like the whole fact that they're sitting there with their extra time is defeating 
you know, that whole thing where, you know, and, and I, I had to break out of that, you know, two or three years ago before I started publishing books and doing this work, you know, it was just nine to five done. I wasn't watching TV, but I wasn't really using my extra energy to channel anything creative or productive. Right. Uh, but once I did that, I mean, my, my life completely changed. I ended up having like extra income streams and uh, getting in, involved in all kinds of cool projects. You know, we live in the digital age with, you know, the social media and stuff to where, you can find people doing just about any kind of thing that interests you. And, yeah. and, you know, I, I encourage people, uh, I work with a lot of addicts, you know, to, to don't waste your creative energy, you know, just sitting there doing, I mean, it's, if you do, that's you, but uh, you know, try to find an outlet for that because you'll, you'll find that it, it's really therapeutic in and of itself to kind of take that energy and be productive with it. Mm. See from a somatic experiencing perspective, they there is a there is a the philosophy of the somatic experiencing perspective well somatic healing let's call it uh, is that you need to in order to break out from your usual habits or your own usual familiar uh, or unhook from your familiar reality there has to be a level of capacity within you like mm -hmm. there is there is no change transformation any nothing can happen until you build enough in a capacity and that's very closely tied to the self-agency the more we build that inner capacity there is a more self-agency in discerning what to watch what to eat yep. who to, you know um and uh, my idea of like having that self-agency is the one thing that makes us unshakable so mm -hmm. we we become completely uh, independent of what's happening whoever is trying to uh, make us feel lack of or you are not worthy of this and you have to do more learning. Recently, I did a post, actually it was really well received. Um, information is, the, is what's blocking the freedom because we are so addicted to uh, information. And uh, I think if we do this mindlessly, this is where the, the problem is. And you're talking about the same thing if you're going to be spending all of your spare time doing things that's going to feed the lack then where is the time to create something that could build the capacity within you right mm -hmm. that's the question here I, I feel like you know when people say um i am a <clears throat> treatment resistant i'm a treatment resistant um yep. you know i have all these issues about treatment resistance and i'm thinking wow well, because you haven't spent your time in the right places building that capacity. Because, you know, a lot of people who go through treatment-resistant um, path of trying everything, it's because they've just uh, been led by the other, someone else, giving their inner knowing or inner trust or inner uh, ability to think and decide for themselves in the hands of the other. And they're continually being passed on here and there and try this and try that. Yet the only thing they need to do is just come back in. Yep. Right. And this is what's really missing in those. Um, when people say, I, I tried everything, nothing's working. Uh, and yet um, that seems to be the missing piece of not having the self-agency, which like you said, the external, um, you know, society, the environment is not allowing us to tap into that self-agency, right? Yeah, we're all very infinitely powerful beings. I believe that. And, um, you know, a lot of the way that society set up, you know, so, uh, 
So it's like, yeah, it's, it's not very conducive to people really tapping into the inner and realizing that, you know, I, I said this on a post last night on a comment. I said, you know, I can't isn't part of my vocabulary. I would never speak self-defeating words like that, right? That doesn't mean that I try to do absolutely everything, but if I get my mind going in that direction and I get, you get so far that, well, I can't is it's over with, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go. And what I found is that really uh, there, you know, I'm a man of many different talents, I guess you'd say, like I, I, I do all these different projects and I've had people tell me, Oh, well, you can't, you know, you can only be good at one thing. You can't do all this thing. And I, my response is that I would never speak uh, anything like that into existence, you know? And uh mm-hmm. It's That's, worked out for me so far, but yeah, it's, it's that, that self-doubt, the lack, uh, it's just imprinted in the, in the minds of people, uh, just through living, uh, in this world. And it's sad. And hopefully through these therapies and, and all these, and, and the thing is that it's not just like, there's all kinds of modalities that are popping up now, uh, that people are getting healing from. And a lot of them run ancillary to, uh, like these entheogenic churches, you know, they offer all kinds of other offerings outside of just sitting in ceremony and, uh, you know, breath work, all this stuff. And it's, it's all coming together, I think, to really make an impact, uh, on people. And, and ultimately, like you say, you know, sometimes when I wake up and I'll be thinking, you know, what kind of impact am I having on the world, you know? Uh, and to be honest with you, it's not something I can even start to comprehend or calculate. Uh, I can say this, that there's well over a thousand people every every week in this country that that consume an entheogenic psychedelic sacrament because of work that I've done. Uh, and so how that ripples out through the collective, you know, remains to be seen. So, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And there's a quote that I like, Greg, and it says, psychedelics are a way to break this world rather than be confined in it. Yeah. Yes, um, I agree. I, yeah, I feel like the people who are drawn to the, the substances are definitely those are the ones that really kind of fed up with the, you know, the confinement, like the way that we've been confining to uh, this sort of boxed up reality that we live in. And I think, um, you know, like you said, thousands of people taking these sacraments, mm-hmm. psychedelic sacraments every weekend. It just goes to show like where we are on, mm-hmm. on this uh, right now, what's happening also, and, and how much do we need that change? Whether we, we know it or not consciously, whether we actively seek it, there is some, big collective kind of it's you know pulling us there yeah it's it's happening and globally like you're in the us i'm in the uk and so many people i speak to in europe and other countries we all kind of synchronized in in what's happening Mm -hmm. right you know it's funny i uh, i went to i guess europe for the first time I, i went to serbia last may uh which included a little excursion into bulgaria uh but there's tons of groups in those countries drinking ayahuasca regularly, uh, consuming sacred mushrooms. Um, yeah, it's it's a global thing, you know, and people in some of these countries, right, you know, the penalties for this stuff is pretty harsh. And, um, you know, they're still doing it and, and you know, being fairly open about it. But it's just 
uh, it's a global thing. And you talk about people called to these sacraments. I absolutely believe that there are a huge contingency of people that are actually called to them, right? To where, you know, when they come across this information, they already know that their next best move uh, is to go and, and meet these meet these sacraments where they're at. And, you know, in my new book, I talk about an article that a guy named Winkleman, Michael Winkleman from Arizona State wrote. He's an anthropologist and an archaeologist. Um, you know, he basically found evidence that the, the sacramental consumption of what we call entheogens, you know, substances that awaken the divine within, occurred in all major areas of the world in antiquity. And so my belief, my belief is that encoded in a lot of our DNA through our ancestors is the calling to these types of sacraments, right? Uh, and nowadays it could be in the medical or it could be in the spiritual of these churches, right? But I think that there's in our DNA uh, some type of code there that that when we see this, we're like, oh yeah, that's where we need to go, right? Because of, of the history of our ancestors, just my belief. Mm. Yeah, let's talk about your last book. Yeah. Because I saw little glimpses of uh, posts that you've been doing about mm -hmm. really researching into the ancient mm -hmm. world of the sacraments and yeah. ancient world of the practices. There mm -hmm. was one especially where you talked about women were quite kind of yeah. in frontier leading leading the healing yeah. circle. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I would like to hear more about that. Yeah, book, so, what's, what's the name of your book? So my name is the name of my new book is The Law of Entheogenic Churches. It's volume two. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, volume one was kind of foundational text of the law in the U.S. This volume two, uh, and then it's the definition of religion under the First Amendment, and it's kind of a deep dive into how has the definition of religion under the First Amendment to our Constitution evolved over time? Where is it at now? Uh, what does this history that they're that they're slowly uncovering, right? What does that mean in terms of defining religion? And then beyond that. What does the research and the science of the primary religious mystical experience effectuated through these through the consumption of these sacraments? What does that mean in terms of defining a religion? And then ultimately, these run of the mill and I don't mean that in any condescending way, but like the run of the mill and theogenic church beliefs structure in the U.S. and, and I'm sure abroad. What does that mean in terms of, of defining religion? Is that religious? So those are kind of the things that I examine uh, through the book. And the reason why I did it is because there's a church here in Florida called SoulQuest, and they've been operating way above ground for, I think, since 2017, maybe before. And they're actually in a litigation uh, with the DEA. And uh, the DEA wrote a letter that was in the court record basically doubting whether SoulQuest was even a religion or not, right? Because in the U.S., when groups are like, so we have the Santo Diamond UDV have been declared by the courts to be exempt, right? Well, they're connected with mother churches back in Brazil who have, you know, over 100 years history. Well, the government didn't even controvert whether that was a religion or not. But SoulQuest, that's not tied to any specific lineage uh, or church. They're starting to doubt whether, you know, trying to doubt whether it's a religion or not. So, you know, me, I saw this coming to the forefront that a lot of these churches that aren't connected to these will need some some support in trying to show that, indeed, it is a religious exercise. And so that was kind of the why behind my book. Um, but yeah, real quick on the women, you know, leading this, this thing. I mean, so yeah, the, in that Winkleman article, the same one that I talk about in chapter two of my book, he, um, 
he talks about the history that that they found a lot of evidence that women led these rituals, uh, these shamanic practices in ancient times. And, you know, what I see doing the church work, over half of the people who engage me are women. And uh, not all of them actually serve the sacrament, but as far as like coordinating the church and getting everybody together and making it a community and making sure everyone's taken care of during their time at these ceremonies is unmatched from what I see. And in fact, I tell you, me personally, I, I favor to go to ceremonies where at least it's, it's organized by women because they're just so well put together. Uh, and that feminine energy kind of controls and it keeps everybody in harmony and in a group I found. Mm, that's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. So what, what other things you covering on your last book? Um, we will definitely share the link with us. Yeah. 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 So, um, and, and I think the most, you know, my favorite part of it was taking the research, taking in articles that Stanislav Grof had written about, you know, from the first time he started administering LSD, he realized real quick that like people were having full-on religious experiences, no different than the ones underlying most of the major holy texts that we know. Um, and so, yeah, and, and as a matter of fact, you know, his belief is that actually these are religious sacraments, you know, that these should be like sacraments used, best used in, in ceremony. Um, and just taking all that information about, you know, because because really the research and the science buttresses, again, this religious exemption for people, right? Because it's, it's pretty reliable uh, when these substances are administered in certain controlled settings, which the ancients knew, you know, for, you know, like the, the ayahuasca shamans in South America, they know how to construct a ceremony uh, in order for you to have that type of breakthrough mystical experience, right? And, and so do Stanislav Grof and them. They knew the same thing, how to do it in a therapeutic setting, but it's like, you know, controlled environment, uh, effectuate these, these types of experiences. And so my argument is that if we have a group and we have some metaphysical beliefs as it relates to these sacraments, and we're gathering together with the primary intention of effectuating that type of experience, and we're doing it safely and, and all these other, you know, all things being equal, that that's a protected activity. Mm, that's amazing. I, I just wanted to touch on this group group uh, or collective mm -hmm. activity of coming together. Mm -hmm. um, I listened to Rick Doblin saying that they're going to um, launch their first group psilocybin uh, study. Uh, it's, it's going to be in a group setting. And then if, you know, you talk about the churches, it's, it's about the community coming together. Mm -hmm. So the sacrament is not actually the center. It's not the, the center of the thing. It's the community essence is, is in the center of, of what this is. And mm -hmm. then we have the sacrament, yep. right? It should be that way. It's not really about sacrament is in the center point and everything revolves around that. But no, because human beings, they thrive when they come together. Yes. Right? Yeah. And this can, this we know this from the indigenous practices. If you look at all of the esoteric and indigenous philosophy look what they're doing they are always coming together at birth mm -hmm. at death festivals uh, special days planetary or not all these unique times of the year they get together there is this community essence that is protected right mm -hmm. and i think as as in you know growing up in the western world and 
knowing more about the modern world, I think we definitely need to come together more. That's the learning I say. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, um, we are more powerful together than we are individually. And, you know, we see a lot of divisiveness back to the news and popular media, you know, there's a lot of divisiveness, right? But when we come together as communities, as people, as groups, that's really where our power is at, you know, energy. And and I've felt it in ceremonies before that, like the energy of the group would get very, very high, you know, and like, it's this amazing, almost ecstatic experience, just the energy in the group. Uh, And again, you know, when we're talking about healing modalities and groups and ceremonies and stuff, it's, it's, you know, it's the feeling that you're not alone, that you're struggling. Well, there's, there's all these other people that are struggling. And then we come together to try to help each other through sharing our experience, strength and hope, uh, integration, stuff like that. Uh, that's really where a lot of the healing occurs, right? You know, it's kind of, you know, the sacraments or, or the psychedelics allow you to kind of open up and see kind of where your problem areas are and, and learn to accept them, but really integrating that into your life, um, with a group or with a one-on-one with some, with another human being is really where the healing occurs. And I wanted to say one thing real quick, that, that a point that I make is that, and here's, and so a lot of this definition of religion is by analogy. Okay. So a lot of the things we look at to define a religion are based upon things that we know from other older established religions. So, you know, and I say this in terms of an integration specialist. So in my conclusion is this, is that integration people that work for and with these churches are really the pastors of, of the church. And why is that? Well, they're basically, when you go to, and this is just an example, a Christian church, the preacher reads a 2,000-year-old primary religious experience to you and puts his seventh millionth interpretation on it to make sense to your life, uh, to help you. Well, on this end, we have people having their own primary religious mystical experience, and these integration people are working with them to help make their own experience make sense to them, right? So there's there's some analogs there, and I just say that because I think that would be a good point to make in a court uh, to a judge, you know, in defense of these practices as being religious in Mm. nature, as that's defined in law, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that as well. Yeah, there is definitely um, beauty and power in the group processes. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the uh, therapy work, um, every individual who goes the path of psychology, studying psychology or therapy, um, they need to have their own group work. They need to go through that group processes. It's it's in everywhere. It's 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 um, weaved in in everything. In, it's in the fabric of life. There's uh, something very unique about human beings that they work best together. Mm-hmm. And um, even with uh, meditation, like you said, there are many other tools. It doesn't have to be psychedelic substances. Mm-hmm. There are breathwork workshops. There are yoga and um, meditation. And looking back, I mean, even going back to the mystical mystics of our time, like Rumi, mm-hmm. he had his own community where they used to get together and you know fast together meditate together and and maybe just stay in silence together just offering each other the presence of their silence silence presence you know yeah and there is definitely a power and and coming back to the uh, uh, somatic healing perspective guess what a nervous system in order to heal it needs another nervous system no yeah there's no surprise there no and that's why in group processes, when people come in together and if the container is super safe, 
guess what? The nervous system with their little neuroceptions, they feel it out. And then as soon as the nervous system feels safe, guess what? The person now open for change, open to share, open to be vulnerable, open to, you know, whatever that is needed for their transformation. So highly, highly valued group processes. You know, I was an addict for 17 years and I actually went through a treatment center that was 32 months long and we had a group therapy twice a week. Right. And, uh, you know, just the insights that were gained in those group, you know, you would go to the group and start processing and someone you never expected would be like, oh, yeah, I've been through that, too. Here's how I felt. Here's what I did. And it just like, bam, it clicks a light on. Um, and you just never know where that's going to come from. Right. And that's why I tell a lot of people, like when you're going through the role, like remain teachable. Right. You know what I mean? You'll never know where the best advice or something that really resonates you is going to come from. It might come from a child. You never know. But you got to keep that open mind and open heart. Uh, and, and it's the same in the group. You know, you get in a group, you feel once you start feeling secure with a certain group of people, that's where people start to open up. Uh, and those channels come in and, and, you know, that's where a lot of healing can occur. I mean, it, it did for me for sure. Mm, yeah. And this is the, yeah. Even Stan Grof always talks about, you know, the indigenous people always staying together, always mm-hmm. doing things together. Like I said yeah. earlier, the, the being there together at death and birth, I think it's so important. And I feel like we are becoming more open to that now uh, from the modern world. And just another thing I wanted to kind of open up to yeah. is, so how do we now, we kind of like, I feel like we're in a good space establishing and understanding what is a psychedelic uh, sacrament, how it can it be used in mm-hmm. group healing. And also, um, you know, the renaissance, is, the, the process is incredible. Like the progress that we are seeing, all this is happening, amazing. And it's all well, but how do we now, address the recreational part that we carried for so long in the uh in the modern world do you do you see what are your thoughts on the? so you're saying like with with like the thought that these are used recreationally how do we deal with that yeah Yeah, so that's a great and i address it in my book too you know once i started digging on the history of this thing really to be honest with you the sacramental you know religious spiritual shamanic use of these substances has occurred farther than we probably know uh, and that was the norm. You know, that was the norm, the, 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 the main way these substances were used up until, you know, then we come into like the 50s and 60s, early 60s, where we started doing research in the scientific realm, right? Uh, and then magically in the late 60s, here we go with recreational use, you know, and now we need to ban these things. They're terrible. Uh, so like when we look back over history, it's the absolute minority of, of use of these things. And, and moreover, you know, just because someone has been labeled to use it recreationally, does that not mean that they were still open and possibly had a religious or mystical experience that helped change their life, right? I mean, the hippies in the 60s, yeah, they were at Woodstock eating and stuff, but who's to say they weren't, again, in a group having religious experiences, uh, you know, on these substances, right? And so, yeah, I think we just need to kind of reframe it and just inform people like, look, this this idea of recreational use is really a, a pretty modern phenomena and isn't consistent with the history of the use of these things, right? Because, and then like on the medical part, you know, again, shamans are also medicine men too, right? So they would uh, use these in a medical and religious setting. And, and I don't think in this space that those things are as far apart as Western thought uh, has has placed them, you know, over, over time. 
Um, but yeah, I think it's just reframing it. So, and, and you know, I tell you, for me, once I you know read the history and the archaeological evidence, it really like clicked with me. I'm like, wow, because I used to think, oh, well, the work I'm doing is influencing the future of religion. But the more I look at it, it's just a continuation of everything that always has been, uh, and in my view, probably always will be. And, and it's my belief that these substances were placed here that have been discovered. You know, even Albert Hoffman said in an article in a book that I have that he believed that it was a divine revelation for him to discover LSD on that fateful day when he did, um, that these substances were placed here for that, that reason for us to, you know, come to these rules and, and to effectuate mental and sometimes physical healing uh, through them, right? And I think it's just shifting that perspective of people, of letting them know that, like, look, this recreational thing is, you know, I'm not saying it was invented or anything like that, but it's really the minority of use uh, when we look back over time and, and really looking forward into the future. Oh, my God, this is so great. Thanks for clarifying that and, yeah. and, and holding that view, because that's been my view also. Um, yeah, that really helps. The recreational use is the minority mm-hmm. uh, practice. It's a practice for the minority that emerged from the 50s, 60s. I guess when they were faced with... Um, you know, the legalization, the legal landscape mm-hmm. changed uh, overnight. And then I'm guessing yeah. it just kind of, sh- um, you know, it's kind of found its way into the recreational way of using, I guess. But I like yeah. what you said, like the, the sacramental use and the, with respect and uh, in, mm-hmm. in um, more like intentional use is actually mm-hmm. the continuation of the historical use, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one thing, you know, when we look back at when all these drug laws came into effect, well, particularly in the U.S., which it was admitted by uh, Nixon's people eventually that these were racist and anti-leftist laws, right? But, you know, we're in the middle of the Vietnam War, and I think the powers that be saw that these substances, probably through effectuating these mystical experiences, like completely reordered people's valuing, right, that, you know, they grew up in this neighborhood or with these, you know, normal social mores and values, but like these substances completely wiped it off you know, put, put them in a whole different spectrum. Um, and I think that scared them. And they said, wow, you know, like we, we can't have this. We have a war going. We need people not to be draft dodging and trying to escape, you know, what they felt probably felt their duty was to fight this war. And then that just kind of stuck after that. Right. And then we started, we started funding worldwide, this drug war machine that probably employed tons of people and lots of money being pumped into it. And it just kind of took on a life of its own. Uh, but I think now really through the psychedelics and, and the traction they're getting, I think it's really having people think about drug laws generally uh, and, and how smart they are and whether it's actually something that, that we could ever even combat, which I don't I don't think we could. You know, ultimately, my goal in all this is that one day we'll be able to basically put whatever substance we feel in our own bodies. Right. And, and alter our conscious in any way that we see fit, uh, you know, to the point that we don't hurt other people. Um, but you know, we're probably still far ways off, but it really, as it relates to psychedelics, yeah, my, my goal is ultimate legalization. I tell my clients all the time, I hope in five years, these discussions of the nuances of the religious exemption, uh, are moot. You know, I really do. Uh, I hope that the advice I'm giving right now becomes obsolete because it doesn't matter one way or another, whether this is completely religious or medical or or whatever. Mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds good. And uh, one thing I wanted to discuss here with you is that coming again from a therapeutic background and working with early trauma and 
like Stan Groff, he did an incredible work with the perinatal trauma, the understanding of yep. that, how it's impacting and affecting our, you know, life later stages of our lives. And, you know, what I want to say is that, you know, we see people who are, who can recreationally use um, LSD or other MDMA or other kind of uh, substances and continually trip and trip and trip like they are hooked and uh, um, I think there was a one post I read somebody taking four tabs of LSD I was thinking wow that's a lot so imagine the capacity they must have built or the tolerance they have built to take such you know, amount of, um, mm-hmm. of the substance and still be okay and continually going back. And then on the other, on the other hand, we have people who say, I've only done LSD once. I will never touch it again because yeah. they received exactly what they need to receive. And I kind of like wanted to tie this with the um, substances, psychedelic substances being the non-specific amplifiers, meaning, mm-hmm. Would you say that if we go into it for tripping, for clubbing reasons, for partying um, or, or escaping, let's say, because um, we need to also address that psychedelic substances are used to escape, which mm-hmm. a lot of people say, no, that's not true because you cannot use them to escape because eventually they will punish you. Eventually there will be some consequences for doing it. And yet I'm still seeing they're probably again in the minority probably very my, minority but i still see a lot of people continually using them to escape especially yeah. lsd and mdma not so much ayahuasca because i know it's a different yeah. game right yeah. i was gonna say not all the, all, the, all the mushrooms i do know some people are still tripping on mushrooms to escape so what, yeah. what would you say on that one you know yeah no i mean it's, it's to me it's all about intention right and and here's what i've noticed through my years of working with them and being in this space is that the experience is really determined about where your heart and mind are at the time you consume them and when i say that i mean people who consider for instance the mushrooms to be sacred and respect them uh and, and like i tell people like i have a mutual respect with the mushroom right we we respect each other you know every experience I have is just completely earth shattering and like, you know, just beautiful mystical experience, right. Where it's just amazing, you know, and it, but I, you know, I don't, I don't turn around two weeks later and sit in another ceremony, right. It's, it's several months or maybe half a year later before I feel like, okay, well, you know, some of this stuff has kind of been dull. So I go back. Right. But yeah, there's people that absolutely use these substances to escape, um, you know, or to have a good time to go to a music show or whatever, which is fine. But, you know, and again, I'll say, I think a lot of the people, for instance, and I think I saw a study not too long ago where it said that basically people taking MDMA at a music festival are having like a quasi-religious experience with this intense connection with the crowd, right? And uh, so I think a lot of people are having these experiences and just don't have a label for it because they haven't really done any reading or research to know uh, that this is a common thing. 
uh, but people escaping it and people having bad experiences and still going back, you know, just because someone has a bad experience where it punishes them doesn't mean that those people afterwards take that seriously and take time to reflect on those things, right? Because that's really where the healing and doing better in your life occurs is when you sit back and reflect on it, right? But you have a bad experience that scares you for a month and then you're right back to it, but have not had any second thought as to that first experience. Again, it's just escape and it's just for fun. And look, I'm not here to tell anybody what to do with themselves or their bodies or they, if that's what's fun to them, that's fine. Uh, you know, but I, I tend to think that over time it starts to become extremely unhealthy uh, to to go on like that. Hmm. I feel like what you just said applies to the therapy work. You know, yep. you meet people who are in therapy for 10 years. Um, they just go for the experience of sitting with a therapist or having that connection. So what's underneath the experience or the practice of doing that is the need for connection. And, yep. and, and now we, we know clearly that psychedelic substances are they are initiative initiate they initiate us into that healing you know um they're very kind of connected to i cannot imagine a psychedelic experience without the element of trauma healing or at least healing of some suppressed emotion or, or releasing or bringing some resolution to um, a negative memory right i i just cannot imagine um psychedelic substances just to like you said and maybe those people who are continually going back they are maybe unconsciously um kind of finding or meeting the need for connection like coming yeah. to a church in theogenic church environment maybe is helping them meet their needs in yep. connecting with the other if they are lonely yeah. I've seen a lot of people that go to these churches who were largely recreational users, and then they actually like sit down and take it seriously one time in a ceremony and, and they convert. They say, no, you know, I've been using them wrong. I was abusing them. But like now I realize that it's this really highly structured, uh, carefully attuned environment is really where all this occurs. And, and you know, for me, there are periodically I have experiences where there's traumas I forgot or things like that that come up. But for me, a lot of it is is really future guidance and eliminating self-doubt. You know, there's not like these terrifying moments, but it's just this grand vision of, of love and that I can do anything I put my mind to uh, that really kind of like keeps me going. But yeah, you know, for me, it is my religious practice. I don't, you know, I only consume sacraments like in a highly structured ceremony, uh, pre-planned, you know, some, a lot of times I actually fast for a day or two before it. Um, just to kind of get my mind prepared to get in that zone and do work and, and be prepared. Uh, you know, it, when I was in my youth, I did haphazard just eat psychedelics periodically. And, you know, luckily I never had just a terrible, terrible experience. Uh, but it didn't take me long into my 20s to have that first mystical experience and say, whoa, this is of a different nature. Um, and that's when I really started to build a relationship. You know, mushrooms are my main sacrament that I'm closest to. And I actually built a relationship with it. You know what I mean? Like, like we have a relationship. Uh, and, and admittedly, a lot of that was, was growing my sacrament, which I recommend. Like if you really are interested in this, you know, to, to grow your own sacrament takes on a whole different character 
of, of this whole thing. It's, it's amazing. And so I encourage, like a lot of the churches I work with, you know, grow your own sacrament because then you put your love and energy into it uh, and then serve it to your people. And there, there's a religious aspect in that, right? A, a metaphysical, spiritual aspect in that uh, to go help further and bolster your claim. Mm, there's so so many things I want to track back to. Uh, um, yeah, I love the idea of. So what we're lacking really is the education part here. Yeah. And I love yeah. what you said that maybe those people who think they are using psychedelic substances to escape, um, maybe they keep going back to it because they something they found something in it they yep. why not you know alcohol i know so many people who go back to lsd a lot and stuff like that i mean why not something else obviously they finding something in it that calls them continually calls them back and maybe because of lack of education lack of information lack of yep. like how to process this thing that they are experiencing how to label it how to not so much label but how to um, integrate how to understand it on mm-hmm. a very deep level that's what's lacking maybe. And, and I think education part is big here. Yeah. No, that mirrors my experience, you know, because I I was having back before I went to rehab, I was working with mushrooms and, you know, I was an addict back then and every experience, it was beautiful, but they told me, you know, you're not going to be able to do anything with yourself until you kick this. That was a message every time, right? And it would bring me to tears, you know, but it was, it was a beautiful, loving thing that was being, you know, relayed to me. Uh, but not until after I published my, during the course of publishing my first book about the research on psilocybin is when I realized and discovered that people are getting in groups and consuming these like in a ritualistic fashion. Um, and as a matter of fact, that took me to my first sacred ceremony it was a Bufo ceremony in Texas. Uh, and, uh, you know, after that day, I'll never forget that when I got off the mat after taking my dose, um, Spirit spoke to me and said, these are your people talking about the people of the church. Like, these are your people help these people. Uh, and it just like, it completely blew my mind. And like within a week, people are contacting me out of the blue about this work. And so that's kind of how I, I got heavily involved. And now I've sat with groups all over the country. I'm planning to go to South America for the first time this year uh, to go sit in the jungle. Um, and yeah, it just completely, again, I was kind of like those people. I mean, I just didn't really know the, the ins and outs of exactly what, what this was and was going on. But once I learned uh, that these types of ceremonies and things are occurring and I actually went and attended one, it completely reframed the way that, that I viewed, uh, or maybe not completely, but it reframed the way that I view and, uh, and approach and engage uh, these sacraments for sure. And, and it's in, in my opinion, a more positive and healthy way uh, than where I was a little bit before that. Mm, yeah this this is great thank you for sharing that yeah. um like dr james Fadiman says you know there's no need to panic there's no need to create like um you know anxiety um they are coming back mm-hmm. whether whether we ignore them the, the psychedelics are coming back really yep. full-on and whether we we choose to ignore and pretend they don't exist makes no difference to what's unfolding and he also said, I think something like, and and it will get bad. It will go really, really bad. And and from the ashes of what's happened, we will rise and we'll find and find amazing frameworks that could actually be applicable, practical. So from the ashes of, you know, a lot of people say that, oh, 
the way the renaissance is going, the psychedelic renaissance is happening right now with biotechs moving in to make money. Mm -hmm. And then there's the legal landscape. There is the science coming in as well with full blown, you know, attention. Um, So many things are happening, but there's uh, so many people saying this is going to end up bad. But then, yeah, yeah, James Fadiman says, yeah, inevitably it's going to end up bad. But from the ashes of that, we're going to find true, authentic, practical ways of now finally, you know, coming to a a, a place of um, collaboration and and working with them. Yeah, no, I agree. I I think that that people, again, there's like you say, there's a lot of players moving into particularly the pharmaceutical scientific realm. Right. And, And I would be lying to say that there aren't players trying to move into the religious space too. you know, people with money and funding, um, you know, and and again, how exactly that's going to end or where it's going to be. I don't know, but I I agree with Dr. Fadiman that these substances will prevail again in a historical context. It's, you know, if we're judging by past, you know, what's happened in the past, they absolutely will. Uh, And where we're at, you know, at the end of that, I don't exactly know, but I do believe that the healthy, beneficial aspects of these substances will prevail uh, and that people will ultimately come to the inescapable conclusion that this is a, a necessary and integral part uh, of us coming together and, and solving a lot of common problems that we have across the globe. And, you know, for one particular being, you know, treat how we treat Mother Nature. You know, it's, it's been proven in research that these substances incre- uh, increase nature relatedness right and i can't help but think that you know these mushrooms come from the earth and when we consume them we feel more in tune with mother earth you know it's just the to me it's more than just a coincidence right of these things and and i'm hoping that eventually one day uh we'll be able to solve some of these issues that plague us you know through maybe not exclusively through the consumption of entheogen psychedelics but that enough people will be influenced to actually start a movement towards that direction Mm, yeah I really love that and you know to just to summarize uh, everything I'm hearing from you and and key takeaways would be for me is to the whole experience is a is a sacred ritual Mm -hmm. of becoming better Mm -hmm. uh, understanding and you know learning about ourselves and and eventually tap into the self-agency that I feel like um, self-agency piece is the thing that's lacking in our this modern world that you know is created by the external factors you know once we kind of tap into that that we are now become the the, we become the collaborators with the nature with the people Mm -hmm. around us with our communities with our intentions with that alignment is is what makes us unshakable and i think for me psychedelic substances are there for us to find that equilibrium Mm -hmm. find that connection become a collaborator and not 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 perpetuate the separation yeah i feel like this is what it is yeah yeah you know one of the most powerful insights i've had and and you'll hear me use the word entheogen not that i have any particular problem with psychedelic i do say it too don't get me wrong but um I like entheogen because it's awakening the divine within. And I think that has a lot to do with self-agency, right? Because I, and just me personally, I toiled with this concept my whole life that there's some other, you know, transcendent being in the sky. That's like, you know, God is separate from me, but just my experience and my views were going to message that. No, I am one with God. Right. And like, 
when I came to that realization, well, then that's very powerful, right? That, that I feel like I'm a co-creator of this reality of my reality and the reality um, was very powerful, you know? And that's why today I have that attitude. Like, you know, I don't say the word I can't, I, I absolutely can, you know, uh, it's mm-hmm. just all up here between my ears. Um, and I think when people get to that place, that's very empowering. And, and I see people once they reach it, man, they start doing things that people never thought were possible, you know, and, and that's the beautiful thing about it. And it's, again, it's that self-agency. It's, it's all this process of, of awakening and almost like rebirth. You know, a lot of people experience rebirthing perinatal, uh, you know, aspects of these experiences that, you know, they come out on the other side, a new and better person. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's so great. And one of the things that I, I, um, began implementing in the, um, so for me, trauma informed is aspect of the uh, psychedelic um, substance work is mm-hmm. is for me is at the heart of everything, and the reason I say that because of you know observing that people can, you know, can kind of be sidetracked if they are not really working with the material of the unconscious. That's mm-hmm. where my passion comes into play with the trauma informed aspect because. I feel like if we don't, if the psychedelic substances are non-specific amplifiers, that means if we are not guided or in a safe container, working mm-hmm. with the material of the unconscious, then it's easy for us to sidetrack and go into this. There's another term that I'm going to share with you, psychedelic mm-hmm. narcissism or yep. psychedelic bypassing or, or the spiritual narcissism or the spiritual bypassing right yeah yeah so, no I, I i see yeah. it and and i you know look i'm not gonna lie i see some people not necessarily the people i've worked with per se maybe a few but that you know have a lot more healing they need to do before they sit down and try to orchestrate other people engaging these substances you know but it's like they have a few experiences and get kind of like the god complex and now here we go now you got 30 people sitting in your circle which just continues to feed that uh and yeah a lot of bypassing a lot of ego uh, i'll share a story real quick with you about the trauma stuff you know i was kidnapped at gunpoint had my skull crushed in in 2014 in a very violent thing I had to pretty much stab my way out of the situation and you know through my time in rehab which started a couple years later you know to be honest with you I wanted the person there was a woman who did it I wanted her dead you know what I mean I just wanted her dead and through working with the mushrooms you know what they told me they said uh you know until you go and face her and and hug her like you'll never get over this and so I actually took a trip back home four hours uh and sat down and had a a meal with this person and hug this person. And I tell you, after that day, um, you know, my life was completely different. Um, but yeah, it was kind of this, I went in with the intention of trying to resolve this underlying trauma that I suspected was, was holding me back. And I got an answer that took me a while to integrate and accept, but once I did and kind of did as instructed, um, man, it completely changed, you know, just even the universe around me responded uh, in mm-hmm. such a way, but, but you're right, it, it needs to kind of be pointed towards these things, because, 
like you say, and it's common for people in ayahuasca experiences to, to like relive trauma that they had either forgot or were too young to remember. Right. And, and it's one of those just breakthrough moments for people. It's so beautiful to see people. I've seen people at ayahuasca ceremonies come in so fearful and, and just broken down. And it's like the next day when they have a good positive experience, like, you can just look at them and see the difference, you know, they're glowing. And so it's like this inner thing really affects the outer. Um, and, and I see that time and time again. Amazing stuff. Yeah. And in, in, you know, like I said, I always say I come from the therapeutic psychotherapy approach. So it's very easy for me to, uh, use the substances as a tool to, deal with the unconscious material it's, it's like for me it's like no brainer this is what you do um and after once we work through the material of the unconscious mm-hmm. and we bring resolution to these aspects then they stop bleeding all over our decisions and our current yeah. reality and our relationships and 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 the choices we make so that's the power of bringing resolution to that unconscious material that's why i always involve the trauma informed aspect into it and and if you you know you already know some of the big names in the space of trauma research some of my teachers some of my mentors in the space they always say in order to heal or in order to bring resolution to that material of the unconscious there has to be an event a, a specific uh reactivation like an inverse trauma happening meaning internally Mm -hmm. going through and visiting the difficult emotions and the states of that experience in order to bring resolution and in my experience this is what the psychedelic medicines do yeah and and it's not easy going and revisiting those things like you say is a whole traumatic event Mm -hmm. in and of itself but with the opposite effect right with with the resolution of these things and uh yeah you know for instance with ayahuasca you know i venture to say there's really no other use for ayahuasca other than to go deep uh and to face these things right and uh you know people have beautiful experiences on it but i guarantee you the first handful of times uh, you're going to be going deep and you're going to see some very uncomfortable things and experience yeah. them again. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, just, you know, as, as my grandma would say, the proof is in the pudding. Once you see people working through that again, it's not just internally, it's the universe around them responds to them differently yeah. in, in a more favorable manner. Uh, mm-hmm. Because yeah, people go around carrying this subconscious baggage uh, and many people aren't even aware of it. Uh, they, they've either experienced something or been programmed in such a way that it just, again, bleeds through their entire life. Uh, and then they get this fresh perspective, you know, that that this doesn't have to weigh me down. You know, this, right. this is you know, defeatable. You know, we can win. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. so I'm sure as a therapist, you seeing these kind of outcomes is probably what keeps you coming back every day. Yeah, exactly. I call this process of uh, working with the material and bring resolution is the ultimate re- liberation. Mm-hmm. it truly is the ultimate liberation it, and, it is yeah and then we stop worrying about and being stuck in that space so that now you said you know your experiences are always very practical futuristic like how yep. to uh you no. know live in an authentic way i think no. this is beautiful i think once we do that have that self-agency and i want to bring the um quickly tie into the community aspect of this mm-hmm. That's why we had elders. There's a concept of elders in indigenous, uh, you know, communities that there's a reason why, you know, 
that's why uh, you don't expect a 20-year-old ayahuasca shaman serving ayahuasca because, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. they, they had to go through some life experience in yes, order to yes, come yes. out the other end and, and carry some wisdom to hold space uh, and, and, and also facilitate a healing space. So I was saying that the, the, in the work that we do now, I feel like we need to bring more of that community aspect, yep. but more congruently because... We don't want to be rescuers anymore. You know, in, right. in the spiritual circles, we see a lot of people rescuing each other and always yeah. inclined to be positive and inclined to give positive feedback. But in my work, we don't see that as, as, uh, as um, constructive. We see that yeah. holding people back, not to be rude. I'm not saying yeah. you've got to be rude, but I think the accountability aspect of it in the community yeah circles is so important yeah. yeah so when i was in the rehab facility we used to have these things called confrontational encounter groups where mm -hmm. um you know you would have you would notice a behavior in someone and you would literally sit across from them in a chair and let them know about it right and uh and then once it was done they'd be like okay group who agrees with this you know and it's just like a way to hold people accountable, you know, like, like, cause a lot of people go and have these behaviors, thought patterns, all this, and just aren't even aware of it. Right. Yeah. Uh, but the, you know, once they're told and, and again, in a respectful manner, uh, then they can start to address it. Right. But if yeah. everything they ever hear is just positive feedback, Oh, you're great. Oh, all this, you know, nothing ever gets done that way. And, you know, I tell, you know, I go to AA meetings all the time. Right. And I work with sponsees and I tell them, look, I'm, I'm not a perfect person either. If you see me behaving in a certain way, let me know. Right. Because like I said earlier, I remain teachable, you know, yeah. I'm far from perfect. You know, I work on myself every day. Uh, and I appreciate when people say, look, you know, you're, you're being not, not a good person right now, you know? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely essential. And, you know, people, there's a lot of people in this world that have just only grown up with nothing, but, Oh, you're great. You know, Oh, this is great. You know, and, and not realizing that we all have a shadow, Right. We all have a shadow. Uh, and until we identify it and embrace it, it's going to keep plaguing our life over and over again. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and with that self-agency, with the liberation, I always find that there is going to has to uh, emerge a radical acceptance of. Yep. I think I also believe that once we deal with the unconscious material, then we stop chasing the mystical, you know, like, you know, one of my favorite stories i tell it all the time probably listeners heard me saying this again like before so there was this uh yeah christian uh nun, nun. yeah lived in a, a monastic life and they interviewed her when she decided to retire and she wanted to go back home and have a normal life whatever that normal life that we say here in the modern world yeah. and they said like we want we want to find out they want to interview her and they were so eager to find out so what did you do in your 40 years of life did you speak to the angels the god and the spirits and the ghosts and like tell us and she paused for a long time and she answered i've learned two things how to eat and how to sleep <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think once we really know who we are, yeah. we stop chasing. That's why That's I right. always bring the spiritual bypassing into the, yeah. the, into the conversations. Yeah. We stop seeking anything outside of us. That's we right. are so content here. 
And, and we, we have this radical acceptance of we are in this physical dimension in human body. It's a finite one time, maybe, because we don't even know the reincarnation philosophy because concept, let's say, um, is it true? Is it not true? Is it? Yes, it may be. But let's come back to here yeah. now and enjoy what we have. It's, it's all the great mystery. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, what I tell people is this, is, you know, because I deal with a lot of religious practitioners and me personally, it's like this. Whatever you believe, make it whatever makes you feel comfortable in the here and now and present, right? Whatever that may be, be convicted enough, whether there is an afterlife, whether or not, uh, you know, that you feel comfortable and present right here. Because I've seen people, and my brother-in-law's mother, unfortunately, recently passed away from cancer. And, you know, despite going to church every Sunday, you could tell as she got near to death that these weren't things that she had really thought of to the point of being comfortable and convicted and approached that, that time in a very anxious and, and fearful way, unfortunately, you know? And so what that taught me was that, you know, come to, to terms with me, whatever I believe on those things to just be comfortable in the here and now. And like you say, ultimately everything that I need and the answers that I seek are really inside of me. Right. Uh, sometimes we need assistance with the community, with these substances to help bring that about, uh, to come to those realizations, but ultimately it's all right here. You know, if we quiet our mind, our ego enough, like we can really get in tune with, with our true self. And, and that's where, you know, that peace, uh, and love and kindness and, and in the present moment occurs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see that the real work ultimately is about, you know, confronting our own mortality. Mm-hmm. knowing that we're finite beings despite yep. being so powerful and godlike and do you know my favorite term What's that it, that we are fragile gods that's right fragile gods ultimately we will leave this body ultimately we don't know what's beyond here we no one has ever gone the 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 deepest information we have of the the most clear information we have is from the um near-death experiences through people and they only got to a point and there was again nothing beyond they could tell us so i always like to bring ourselves back here grounded in being human in radical acceptance and and living every day knowing that one day we won't be here anymore and one day we'll have to travel to the next dimensions and and nobody knows no one's been there to come and tell us so you know yes it's hard to have that confrontation of our mortality and and being human sometimes yes i fully understand the need to escape because sometimes the pain is too much in this body but um with the help of community with people like you doing all the work that you're doing creating and because with your work hopefully we'll have more of these circles Mm, where people can do authentic work hopefully and and lead by example so that everybody can just learn from each other and uh, and yeah and and be better for themselves yeah Yeah. you know one thing that i've learned that in you know and i think this is innately in everybody you know the sense that serving Mm. other people helping another person. I don't know what that does for me in the afterlife or if there is one, but something internally tells me that this is the right thing to do to love 
uh, things like that give me a sense of that's what I need to be doing in this life. Right. And, and again, mm. that all comes from in here. I, I get that sense from here. Uh, and so that's kind of what I let guide me uh, through this life. And hopefully I'm correct. You know, hopefully whatever occurs beyond this, uh, the love and the support and that I give uh, to others in this life means something there. You know? mm. And that's it. As simple as as beautiful and simple as that. Honestly, this is all there is to it. Yep. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for such yeah, no, thank you. Conversation. This was a great talk. I, uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. I, um, yeah. And just let people know my book is up for free donation on, uh, in theoconnect.com. Feel free to give whatever energy exchange you feel, uh, compelled to give. Obviously the print version is going to be on Amazon. I will say that I was able to secure uh, a pretty cool book cover art, uh, from a guy named Jim Figora who painted this picture of kind of reflecting the stoned ape theory, uh, which really fit into the second chapter of my book. And so uh, I know a lot of people are probably going to want it. And, and he's also got a great art store to check out. Uh, but for ebook purposes, you know, don't, don't feel compelled to go buy it on Amazon. Feel free to go to Theo Connect, get it for free if you like, or just whatever energy exchange you feel fair. Um, I'm, I'm good with either way. Thank you so much for that offer. And yeah. yes, we will have your links in the show notes and also before I let you go, you yeah. have this um, website you're building, yeah, yeah. NCO Connect. Uh, yeah. What stage is it at now? Because And also tell us what it is. Yeah, so in the, in, and again, it's kind of this dynamic thing, right? So I originally developed at Theo Connect about probably a little bit over a year ago. And when we first published it, there was a lot of problems with it. So I had to switch developers. Um, at the time, I was working a full-time job doing this church work, uh, writing these books. And so it kind of got put on the back burner for a while. But now I've quit my day job uh, working fully in this space. So what we envision for Theo Connect is going to be uh, more or less like a listing service in a community forum uh, where people can find out about these different uh, uh, churches and other organizations serving these substances, uh, along with other kinds of practitioners, Reiki, Combo, all that other stuff that goes, you know, ancillary to these things. Uh, and it's going to be a listing service. And uh, I hope one day to eventually have a marketplace on there. So we're just going to take it, you know, uh, we hope to have it back up here in the next 60 days uh, and start listings and stuff like that. But there is an email list to register for, uh, which I'm now sending out biweekly emails for. And I will keep everybody up to date uh, as the situation progresses. Amazing. Sounds like it sounds like a sacred uh directory for healing we, arts modalities yeah, we, yeah we, we try to be i will say that you know me and my team we we definitely hold these substances as sacred and um you know we're going to do our best to make sure that only qualified practitioners come onto the site but we will have community input so uh you know that way we can kind of let the community gauge too who deserves to be on there and who doesn't and uh you know and, and just real quick and i know you mentioned this earlier kind of the dark side of this is that a Unfortunately, there are people who are either unqualified or have malicious intentions in serving medicine. And, you know, the best that we can do is just as a community get together and kind of weed them out. You know, uh, I, I don't think these people are going to stop all the progress that's been done. But, you know, ultimately, I think the community kind of coming together and deciding who's who's worthy of, of serving medicine or holding ceremony or not. Uh, it's going to be super important. And so I'm hoping that Theo Connect will help kind of play that function. Mm, I love that screening yeah. through the community, uh, mm -hmm. through the community. Yeah. 
yeah you know. sounds all positive great try, try to keep it that way mm, yeah well keep going because we need a lot of people like you who understand the dark side of the psychedelic substances and also um who understands the legal and the history like yeah. all encompassing information that you carry is very very precious and thank you for all the work you're no doing. thank you i appreciate it. I've, i've put you know i can say this um i put a lot of love and energy and work into uh everything i do in the space uh it's for me my higher calling uh you know i was led to this point and uh i just keep letting the universe show me and reveal me more uh as i go and it's it's absolutely beautiful and yeah i love everybody like thank y'all like it would just if we keep supporting one another we're, we're going to make it to the end zone, right? We just need to come together and support one another as a community worldwide. Uh, and in the next five to 10 years, we'll have really made some progress. Yeah, I believe so. I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And thank you for continually reinforcing the community aspect because that's where my passion mm-hmm. is. I, I'm a huge believer in healing out loud together yep. in community centric groups uh, authentically. I thank agree. you. Thank you. And thank you for joining us on the second episode. Thank you, everybody. If you made it this far, really appreciate you. Check out the first episode. We'll link it down below as well. We did a one more episode um, a while ago, and this is our second conversation. Every time we have these conversations, there's so much progress. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and hope to be following your projects and maybe yeah. have you again very soon. Yeah, we need to do this regularly. These talks are so important. We will, as as things update materially on my end, I'll let you know. And if it's it's time, we'll uh, we'll sit down and do another one. Great, thank you. Appreciate you. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Susan. All the best, and thank you everybody for tuning in. And if you want to say maybe last sort of whatever you want to share with our listeners before we say bye. Yeah, no, thank you all for listening in. It's an honor to be here today. Like you know. Um, we'll link my information and if you have any question comments concerns or just want to connect uh feel free to reach out i i'd really take pleasure in connecting with people all over the world that's been one of the major blessings of doing this work is it's it's a worldwide thing and uh i think as we come together more globally uh the shift will will keep occurring and you know at a faster rate also they can reach out to you if they're in the u.s and they're planning on Um, having their own um, entheogenic church, right? You, would you be able to help people assisting them? Into- yeah, um, they can. They can just get a hold of me, George Lake at entheoconnect.com. Uh, just mm-hmm. shoot me an email, and uh, we'll try to uh, uh, narrow down a time to discuss. Mm-hmm. Great, because I know it's in it's valid uh, in US right now, but obviously Europe and other countries are different. But uh, yeah, it's a great opportunity to consider that as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right, <clears throat> thanks everybody. See you guys on the next one. Bye for now. Much love. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us. Psychedelic Conversations podcast is designed to educate, inform, and expand awareness. For more information, please head over to psychedelicconversations.com. You can also share with your friends or leave a review so that we can reach more people. You can also join us in our private Facebook group to keep the conversation going. This show is for information purposes only and it is not intended to provide mental health or medical advice. Thanks for listening.